So I'd like us to read scripture together. Uh, would you stand for the reading of scripture, please? So this is John 15, 1 to 7. Let's read it together. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts every branch that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will bear even more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do remain in me, you are like branches that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burnt. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish and it'll for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Blessed be the word of the Lord. You may take your seat. So that, that, that scripture contains uh, uh, bits, of, bits of scripture that I, I was actually taught to memorize when I was growing up. So it's kind of cool to be teaching from there today. Um, so I want to uh, I was just thinking uh, about what happens when lights go off in families, in, in houses. Um, when I was growing up, when we'd have a blackout, I would actually curse. And my mom warned me sternly to never do that again. I just blamed it on the devil. You know, he's the bringer of darkness. Da, da, da. So when lights went out, I never thought it could be KPLC not doing their job. I just, oh, shindwe. And my mom said, no, no more of that. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, when lights go off nowadays is when families actually start having conversations. Because we are so glued to our TVs. Right, we're, we're scrolling on phones, and then lights go out, and our phones go out, and finally we can see each other. How was your day? Um, and the story of electricity in our homes, at least in Kenya, mostly begin in rivers uh, like the Tana, which, which is that, what we have here. Uh, okay, this is the Tana River. It's one of the geothermal sites of, of Kenya. Sorry hydroelectric power sites of Kenya. And like that, at least as far as electricity is concerned, it just, it doesn't look like much. It just looks like water uh, sat somewhere. As much as, uh, as far as electricity is concerned, this is nothing until we harness it, right? And so uh, people would normally build dams to kind of constrict um, the flow of the river and harness all its power then uh, directed to turbines, and, and those turbines will, will turn generators and, and electricity is produced, and then it's wired to our homes, right? So, 
without the harnessing, without the direction, with, without constricting this river and directing it to where it flows, as far as electricity is concerned, all there is is potential. And here's the thing. Uh, it's the same thing with our lives and the invitation to fruitfulness. Unless it's, there's a direction, unless there's a constriction, unless there's a, a, an ordering of how we grow, all we have is potential. All we have is potential. Jesus is speaking to his disciples very close to, to his death. I've often said every time we're in John 15, anytime someone is close to, to their death, you kind of pay attention to what they're saying. And even more so, if that person dies and comes back to life, you pay attention to everything he ever said. So Jesus is very close to his death. He's gathered his disciples and he's telling them, hey, these are the things I don't want you to forget. You may forget so many things, but remember this. This is where he says, hey, if you love one another, you will be known as my disciples. And now he's saying, hey, if you're going to be fruitful, that is how, what will show you my disciples. It's a big deal. What he's saying here, you know, um, and, and in there is also the line that I usually use an, as an excuse when I don't want to take a shower. You're already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. That's good news. Anyway, sadly, I think it's so sad that so many people end at salvation. It's so sad that so many people just stop at I am saved. And Jesus is going, hey, it's, it's not enough to be clean. If I use salvation, if I use, you know, if I interchange those two, it's not enough to be clean. It's not enough to be saved. You know, our being clean has nothing to do with us. That's God's gift. Your salvation is God's gift to you. In fact, salvation and healing, are you, uh, the same word is used for salvation and healing in the New Testament. It's God's gift. It's not enough to be saved. It's not enough to be clean. So Jesus says, hey, you're clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Now remain in me. That's the invitation he's making. Now that you're saved, I want you to do this. So many of us are just like a river that is yet to be harnessed for productivity. Or in the image Jesus uses, uh, we, we're just like branches that are, 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 are not bearing fruit. Or at least, if we're to be branches that will bear fruit, we will need more than salvation. We've got to tell ourselves the truth. We will need more than salvation. Um, so, fruitfulness, I want to describe fruitfulness as, as what it means to become like Jesus and doing what Jesus did. That's what the invitation here is. Fruitfulness is when we get to become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. How was Jesus? A non-anxious presence, full of joy, patient, peaceful, faithful, self-control. Those are the fruits we see in Jesus. And if we want to become, uh, when we become like him, we're becoming fruitful. And then when we do what Jesus did, what did Jesus do? Heal the sick, raise the dead cast out demons. 
I was watching a reel uh, uh, two days ago, and this guy was just saying, we've, we've now created an image of Jesus that never existed, a Jesus who is just soothing and, and uh, lift me up, and, uh, but he doesn't cast out demons, he doesn't heal the sick. We just gather on Sunday, it's like, oh, it was so nice to be at church, and we go home, nothing has changed. A Jesus who does not forgive sin, a Jesus who does not uh, uh, condemn sin, that's not the Jesus seen in the Bible. Anyway, so fruitfulness means becoming like Jesus and then doing what Jesus did. And here's the thing. If we're going to do that, Jesus says, we have to learn to abide in him. COVID made me deeply reflect on whether we were preparing people to be disciples who are being fruitful, whether we're preparing people to be fruitful followers of Jesus, or were we just gathering people on Sunday morning and they walk away thinking, oh man, we, we're part of a great church. And even that, you know, it's like, what, what are we doing? What, what are we being invited to? You know, when, when, what do you do when a pandemic comes and the church cannot gather again? What do you do when, when you... Uh, when you move cities and you, you, you're yet to find a church, what will you be left with? What, do you do, what will you be left with when seasons of your life change and, and you, cannot, you don't have the same community you used to have? What will you be left with? My desire is that as a church community, we will be able to say that every day we grew closer and closer to Jesus, becoming more like him. My desire is that as a community, we will step into radical discipleship. That for us, it will not be enough to say, I am saved. Praise the Lord, I am saved. Great, that's not enough. In fact, Jesus rarely called people to salvation. He said, hey, come follow me. My desire is that that is the kind of community we will be. So Jesus invites his disciples to become more fruitful, and doing so means we abide in him. Do you know those pastors who uh, use fancy Greek words and then they tell you, oh, this one? I mean, it's important. Some, sometimes it's important. So today I want to feel fancy like that. So the, the, the Greek word for abide means to abide, to stay. Like make your home. That simple. Make your home in Jesus. There's a difference between an Airbnb and, and, and a hotel and your home. You spend a lot more time in your home. You, you invest in your home. You're careful to repair things. You probably spend, hopefully, uh, what you call home, you spend a lot more time there than anywhere else. That's what Jesus is saying. I want you to be found in me. I want you to make your home in me. Following Jesus is the same. It's about intentionally spending time, energy, and resources around being with Jesus so much so that you become like Jesus and you do what Jesus does. See, the interesting thing, uh, uh, and, and there are even studies around it, is when people live together, even their brain waves start to match. When people live together, they start looking alike. Welcome back, Billy and, um, and Nao. You've been gone for a while. Those two, uh, you know, are beginning to look like each other, and they come from different parts of this country. They've lived together a little too long. Well, not, not too long. They're married. They should keep living together. 
You know, <laughs> don't, don't take everything I say seriously. No, take what I'm saying now seriously, sir. Let's, oh, God. You know, people begin to look like each other. You know, you, 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 a couple walk somewhere and people go, are those two siblings? No, they're not. That would be weird. Uh, <laughs> okay, we need to focus. That's a, that's a terrible joke. Um, and then we will delete that part of the talk. <laughs> so, people begin to look like each other, begin to sound the same. They start doing things the same. What's happened? They've made their home in each other. They've spent so much time with each other, they're becoming like each other, and now they're doing things the same. This is what Jesus is saying. Hey, abide in me. You want to be fruitful? Abide in me. Be found at home. And then let's just, uh, the other image Jesus uses is that of the vine, its branches, and the gardener. Um, we have our very own gardener that I want to use uh, his, his, his things for. So that's our very own gardener, Davy. Some of you have been to his home. Uh, he and uh, Carolyn lead our, our kids' church. And so if, you, if, you, if you've been there before, this ark wasn't there. Right? It's grown uh, in the recent weeks, and what has happened is, could you go to the next image? Oh, I don't think you can see it, but there are yellow strings. There are strings running across. So what he's done is, is he's pro provided uh, a trellis for his uh, pomegranate and and passion plant, so that he can control how they grow, he can shape how they grow, and they can become more fruitful. Actually, this, there's a fruit there, and the next image, and this is how some of that look. And you can see, you can see Trinity people. That's, a, that's one of our chairs right there. But anyway, so it's more fruitful than it has ever been. We'll make sure David and Carolyn listen to this talk. Um, so, so, um, what happens is, is for, for plants that have tendrils, you want to, to provide a trellis for them so that you can shape their growth. A trellis decides where they will climb and where they will not climb, okay? And then a trellis also uh, opens it up and it makes it grow better, it makes it more fruitful, and it also protects it. Otherwise, it will just crumble on the ground. It won't grow as, as fruitful. It will take a weird shape, it will not, uh, and it might die. This, this is the same image Jesus is giving. This is the same way the early church uh, uh, pictured this, this, uh, this scripture. And so the early church had uh, two things, one called a, a rule of faith and a rule of life. A rule of faith, or what we nowadays call a statement of faith, what do we believe? And so you see things like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. It was the early church trying to communicate, hey, these are the things we believe. But it was not enough to have a statement of faith. They also went ahead and had a rule of life. So many of us have a rule of faith. We know what we believe. But we don't have a rule of life. We don't have a lifestyle that matches what we believe. A rule of life acts like a tendril, uh, uh, sorry, uh, a trellis. A rule of life acts like a trellis to, to, 
to direct your life so that it grows in the arc way that the Father is creating for it, and you can become more fruitful, and you can even be safer. That's what a rule of life is. So throughout the, se- uh, the season of Lent, we will be looking at, a, uh, at, at, at this rule of life and what that looks like in our current day for each one of us. So Ash Wednesday starts, uh, uh, starts Lent, and th- that's this Wednesday. So in our community groups, we'll be talking about this. We'll be talking about this on Sunday. And, um, and the invitation... My hope is that by the end of, 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 uh, of Lent, when we get to Easter, that we will all as a community, one, have become aware of our own rule of life, two, are intentional to shape our rule of life, and three, uh, uh, that we'll be becoming more fruitful as we uh, commit to that. So again, let me just... Uh, um, uh, define what a rule of life is, because you'll hear this phrase over and over again. It's, it's a way of ordering our lives, activities, and rhythms of relationships towards achieving something, and in this case, towards achieving uh, spiritual growth. A way of intentionally ordering our, our lives, practices, and rhythms of relationships. Now, before you go, okay, now we're going to add a bunch of things to our lives. The truth is, you already have a rule of life. Everyone has a rule of life. All of us have a way our lives are ordered. Let me give you a typical one. You wake up to the alarm. You snooze a bit. And snooze again and again and again because you have like five alarms. You snooze, you snooze, you snooze. And then you finally wake up. And then you pick up your phone and scroll through social media. In the early waking hours of the morning, uh, algorithms and what people think and what the world is saying is already shaping your mood and your day and your, and your, and, and your spirit and your soul, really. So after you finish scrolling, well, as you scroll, really, you realize that you're about to get late. So you quickly hit the shower, real quick, or you use the phrase Jesus said, you're already clean because of the words I've spoken to you. Then you dash out of the house real quick. If you're working in Nairobi that week, you hit traffic and it's driving you mad and already you're anxious. What will your boss say? If you're in Nakuru, everything is 20 minutes away. You just walk there, you take a picky, you get to work and everyone's upset with you. Like everyone's just anxious. There's angst in the office. And so you're, everyone's walking on eggshells and... and and then everyone's talking behind each other's back. Oh, our boss. Oh, that lady. Who does she think she is? And when they walk in, you go, hey, hi, good to see you. Praise the Lord. Especially those who work in church. I see you, George. Anyway, no, they, they, they actually don't do that. They actually don't do that. So during lunch break, you walk through lunch. Like you might be eating, but you're working at the same time. You're working at the same time replying emails, or if you really don't like your job and you don't have deadlines that day, you get back to scrolling. What is Instagram saying today? What is Mark Zuckerberg uh, feeding you with today? And then, five o'clock, you hit the pub, drink with a few friends, but even as you sit there, none of you is really talking to each other, you're just scrolling away. 10 o'clock, you rush home, and you... You, you, you just land on your couch, 
and switch on Netflix. And as the, as the sound goes, you're scrolling, your computer is on, you left work, but you're checking your emails. And you keep saying, I hope the food doesn't burn. Well, you're alerted by a little smell. You're like, oh, saved it right in, uh, in time. So half your rice is, is cold, but you can eat the rest. And so you do. And you keep watching. You keep telling yourself, you know what? Just one more episode and then I'll sleep. One more, one more. It's 1 a.m. in the night and your body literally just crashes. Like you can't do it anymore. Your body can't take it anymore. You crash, you fall asleep, and the cycle starts up again the next morning. That's very, very common, isn't it? That in itself is a rule of life. You've ordered your activities and the rhythms of your relationship, relationships in a certain way, and here is some news. Everything you do does something to you in return. We sometimes uh, hear the word spiritual disciplines, and we think it's, you know, it's very loaded. We, we hate religiosity. So many of us have come from religious backgrounds, so we don't like such words. Uh, but the truth is, everything you're doing is forming your soul. It's a spiritual activity. Netflix is forming your soul. John Alan Namu has formed so many souls in Kenya. Raila and Ruth are forming so many souls. We just, everything you do is a spiritual activity that's forming you. And so, some of the activities we do have very, very little impact. Some actually form your soul in a big way. It doesn't matter uh, uh, what time you have coffee, but it's forming you into someone. But then other things actually form our souls either to become more like Jesus or deform our souls to become the anti-Jesus. No, that's, that's really cool. As I've said here before, formation is a human thing. Formation is not, just a, is not a church thing. Formation is not a spiritual thing. Formation is a human thing. You're all becoming someone or something. The only question is what? So our rule of life, your current rule of life is forming you. And, and so for believers, for those who are following Jesus, I want to really implore you, belief is not enough. As far as your formation is concerned, uh, belief is not enough. In fact, uh, James, uh, the brother of Jesus and the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, writes a letter, pastoral letter to this church, and he tells them, even demons believe. Belief is not enough. Yeah. Every time we say we believe in God and we don't have an ordering of our life that matches that, all we are doing is saying we have good intention. And intention never determines destination. It's the direction you're following. If you intend to get to Nairobi, you better drive in this direction. Otherwise, you might just end up in Kisumu. They're both cities anyway, so who knows. But it's, it's direction that determines your destination. That's why the early church had a rule, of, a rule of faith and a rule of life. And that's my invitation to us this, this uh, Lent season. 
You know, many of us can articulate clearly what we believe. But we don't have a life that matches. Here's what I mean. Many believers believe, many people believe that prayer is important. How many people make it a priority to actually pray? See, see, we sometimes have a lifestyle that does not match what we believe. You believe one thing, you live another. Many people believe that Scripture is important in our lives as believers. Very few of us intentionally make time to spend, to spend our lives in Scripture. You believe one thing, you're living another. You have a rule of faith, you have a rule of life that does not match. Many people believe that God heals, but we rarely pray for the sick. We rarely come up for prayer for healing. You believe one thing, you live another. So, again, a rule of life is an ordering of our lives, practices, and rhythms of relationships in order to become more like Jesus. What a rule of life does, it, it, it helps you create room for God to do in you what only He can do. If you're like me, there are things that, that, that I just could not take away from myself. So spending time in prayer, uh, uh, spending time fasting, spending time uh, reading Scripture isn't, isn't, a, isn't an end to itself. It's not, it's not um, a way to bribe God and, and think you're good. No, it's a way to be with the Father so that He can do in you what only He can do. That's what a rule of life is. Um, I was meeting a, a, a lady last week. Uh, she's in the country. She wants to intern with us for a little bit. And so I was listening to her story. She started following Jesus in 2021. And, and, and she says she had, she, she had severe uh, uh, depression and, and uh, suicidal ideation. And she, has, she had had counseling. Uh, and, you know, she'd get better and then slum back down. And... Uh, uh, she, she had been on medication, and it just went on and on and on until she started following Jesus, and one day she received prayer, and, and, and she got better. Here's the thing. The things we practice in our rule of life are not an end to themselves. They're a way for us to create space, to create room for God to do in us what only He can do. This is how we abide. This is how we abide. We make time, we make space to be with Jesus. I also want you to hear me correctly. I'm not saying rules for life. I'm saying a rule of life. The thing is, the moment we hear rules, we go back to law and things I must do. And if I don't do this, uh, I am bad. If I don't do this, they... Uh, the, the, the thing about the law is that it, it comes with a lot of shame and guilt. That's not what I'm talking about. A rule of life is self-generated. There won't be a suggestion from here. It's like, hey, this is what you ought to do. There won't be a suggestion from here. A rule of life is self-generated, and a rule of life is flexible because seasons of life change. See, I might not, I might not be able to, to, to uh, read Scripture every time I'm on the road. So, a rule of life changes. 
See, if, if, I have a, if I have a weekly fasting rhythm and then I'm traveling and one of, the, and one of those uh, visits includes a big party where I am the guest, I will be eating. Right? A rule of life is flexible, it's self-generated, uh, rules keep you from wrong, a rule of life keeps you uh, flowing uh, in, the, in the direction that you, God is inviting you to. Um, in primary school, uh, we, had, we had teachers, we all, it was a requirement that everyone has a ruler. And, uh, the, the Greek word for rule is what gives us rule and ruler. So it was a requirement that everyone has a ruler. Some teachers used rulers to hit us over the head with. That was a wrong use of the rule. A ruler, teachers, please forgive me if I have outed you. Anyway, a ruler is used to, to help you draw a line in the direction you want it to go. So anytime you create a rule of life and it becomes something you're hitting your, yourself over the head with, you're using it wrong. A rule of life helps you live in a certain direction. It's not supposed to uh, bring guilt. It's not new religion. It's not new law. It's an intentional ordering of your life so that you can spend more time with Jesus and become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. So, as I finish, uh, you know what, I, I, I've, I've been to places where the, the, the pastor says, the person speaking says, as I finish at least three times. So, y'all need to give me some slack that I only say it once, you know. Uh, but I know everyone knows that that means nothing until I invite the band over. So, why don't I invite the band on stage? So, so that it, it's real. Uh, <laughs> through Lent... This is my invitation to all of you. Become aware of your own rule of life. How have you ordered your life and the rhythms of your relationship and what are they producing? Listen, your life is a direct product of your lifestyle. Your every system produces what that system has been created to produce. Your life is a direct, your lifestyle is perfectly designed to produce the life you're having now. Some of us are anxious. Some of us are depressed and sad. And I know that some of that is, 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 is medical and a chemical imbalance. And I know that some of, some of that sometimes is even demonic. Some of us, are, our souls are shriveling and dying. We're tired. We're irritable. We're impatient. We lack self-control. And you, you don't like it. Your lifestyle is perfectly designed to produce the life you see in. So Jesus one day went, uh, went in front of the temple and said, Come to me, all who are weary and tired, and I will give you rest. If you're here and you realize you're weary and tired of how your life is, the invitation is, Come to me, and I will give you rest. That's a good news. That's a good news of Jesus.
If you're done with how your life looks, if you're done with cycle of sin after another, if you're done with irritability, if you're done with hopelessness, come to me and I will give you rest. We often forget the next part. Take my yoke upon you. Jesus is saying, if you really are going to live a restful life, you must exchange what you have for what he is giving. You must release your yoke or whoever's yoke you're carrying. A yoke was a rabbi's way of life, a way of interpreting scripture and therefore a way of living. So Jesus is saying, hey, release what you're carrying, release your way of life and receive mine. So it is an invitation to a certain way of living. Otherwise, we will come get rest, and on Tuesday, we will still be anxious, we will still be irritable, we will still be cussing on the streets. He never grows tired, come to me and I will give you rest. But at some point, we have to decide to take up his yoke. So, become aware of your own rule of life. What is it producing? My hope is that at the end, we will be equipped to build one. And then alongside your community group or your family, you will actually build one and commit to it for a season. And then review it. It's flexible. It has to, it has to be. So how we will do it is that we will look, through the weeks, we will look at different practices from the life of Jesus and the early church and uh, how, wh why, why they're important and how to incorporate, it, in incorporate them in our daily living. Because it has to be. Practices for our minds, our bodies, our relationships. This is not an invitation to add one more thing. I know life is already full. The economy is hurting. Politics are noisy. Life is already full. I am not inviting you. I'm not, I'm not asking you to take one more thing. In fact, this is an invitation to subtraction. This is an invitation to subtraction. This is an invitation to rest. This is an invitation to abide with Jesus. Not addition, subtraction. So we'll start slow. When you, for those who will respond to the invitation, don't you try put everything at once. Oh, I'll fast every day and uh, pray. No, just start slow. Start where you are. Not where you think you should be. Start where you are. And it, it has to include engagement and disengagement. It has to be things you do and things you do not do. We'll talk a bit about the Sabbath. What does it mean to just find rest? Which literally means to stop. It has to include sleep. It matters how often you sleep. How, how, how well you sleep. Not how often. I hope it's every day. But start where you are, not where you think you should be. It's like packing a suitcase for a journey. You can't carry everything. And if you're going to the coast in this time of the year, and you carry a big jacket, you're packing wrong. Right? So you open your suitcase, and you decide what goes in first. You need some boxes. You need some towels. You need, you need a shirt, a light one. And then, maybe if there's room, maybe if there's room, 
you can add what? The laptop, maybe? Well, I think laptops go anyway. But, but you, you see what I'm saying? You start with the basic, most important ones, and then you add the other pieces that are, are you know, can, can either come or go. For example, I think scripture and prayer, those are really big deals. Those ones go first into a suitcase. But, but you know, if you're... Well, anyway, let's just stop there. Why do you stand?